You understand the meaning of the word foreboding? As in badness is happening right now. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Far too kind. Oh, you guys are a hell of a duet here. Why'd you start harmonizing? Can I get an encore? Do you want more? Cook and roll with the Brooklyn boys. So for one last time, I need you. Because love says live for over 100 years. Now what the hell are you waiting for? For me, there should be no more. So for one last time, make some noise. That's for John Lennon, you Yankee fucking cunt. She thinks she can control everyone. Come, dance with me again. I'm at your service. Don't be afraid, Kathleen. I won't run away with your fiancé. My. I think you're shaking. Do you think that I'm in love with a valet? Perhaps there isn't quite as much difference as they think between human beings and human beings. Now kiss my shoe. I can't do that. And if I order you to do it... Fire. Stop! I forbid you. I am tired of this game, and I have to be excused in order to resume my work. Somebody might see us. What would that matter? They would start talking. Are you ordering me now? Yes. For once and for your own sake. What have you been doing? Welcome back, everybody. This is Above the Title, your one-stop shop for everything Colin Farrell in the state of the 21st century movie star. I'm Connor. I'm Cole. And uh, Cole, what are we talking about this week? Uh, this week, if you can tell by Connor's <laughs> extremely excited tone of voice, I sound very. I'm very tired. I'm very. Yeah, tired. It's, it's, yeah, it's 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 extremely late, kids. Yeah. Um. This week we are talking about the 2014 Leave Ullman film Miss Julie. Woo. We're giving like very uncharacteristic NPR vibes. Uh, I know. Here. It's this is a very yeah. NPR movie. How aware were you of the existence of this movie? Very. Yeah, you had I, talked about it before. Like, can I? But can you I come across you... it all the time on Letterbox? Right? Okay, this is yeah. this is the this is the <laughs> reason I am aware of this movie. It is a it is a thorn in my craw. Is that every single time I go to look up the 1951 Alf Soberg film, Miss Julie. Which this I believe is, won the Grand Prix. Right? Which won the Grand... Well, yeah. to, to clarify, it did win the Grand Prix at Cannes. But the Grand Prix at Cannes in 1951 is not the Grand Prix at Cannes now. Yes, the yes, Grand very Prix true. in 1951 <laughs> is what is now called the Palme d'Or. So yeah. that movie won the Palme d'Or. And yeah. this movie, which is a technically not remake of it, but functionally a remake of it, just always gets like top billing if you look for Miss Julie on Letterbox, which kind of drives me crazy because that's very strange. It maybe is I there, does Letterbox have a a recency bias like in its algorithm when you're it searching? Does for well, yeah, but but yeah. as a a Letterbox sorts everything by like a universal popularity metric. Right, it doesn't do any weighting so, beyond that. It's just based a, off the actors involved, based off of the filmmaker at hand. Yes, yeah, so like it's stuff it's, like that. It's, yeah. it's not like Letterboxd has 
chosen to prioritize this one over the <laughs> I know original. that. It's not it's, curating it's, the 2014 Miss Julia. It's not curating this the, version. Yeah. It's just that this version gets more hits. But I have to assume that this version getting more hits is a feedback loop from the fact that it's the one that gets put up front because like recency bias drops off quick and this movie's almost a decade old. You and we're the first people to have watched it in nine years. <laughs> Let's be real here. You haven't seen this movie before, right? I had not seen this movie before. How aware historically have you been of the the 1951 Swedish version? Aware of it nebulously in the fact that it is a Palm d'Or winner, and I've just always just had this in, like in your obsessive compulsive cinephilia. Like, yeah, I'm just like I have a back it. of my head desire to have one day seen. All the Palm Door winners. So I'm generally aware of the existence and what they are of everyone that won. Uh, this one ties in 51, which is one of the first con film festivals. It ties with De Sica's Mir Miracle at Milan, which I've also not seen. I've seen it. It's a good movie. I like Desika uh, a lot. Yeah, yeah. it's fucking Desika. <laughs> Desika rules. Hot take. Great. I like we Desica love Desika. Yeah. Um, it, how aware? How aware of you of Strindberg? in general not at all beyond his like nebulous status as berg ingmar bergman's like mentor which might even be overstated yeah i don't know yeah i think i think maybe more like mentor i don't necessarily know if that like applies directly in the sense that like we typically use it but more of like a forebearer you know you know how like every how Tarantino is like very clearly riffing off De Palma a lot of the time. I think like sure. Bergman's relationship well, to Spielberg is kind it's, of like it's in that it's sense. more yeah. it's more than that because it's Soberg, right? That's how you say his name. I'm really bad with my fucking Middle European accent. I I'm not I'm not even gonna bother. Soberg, <laughs> Despite having like, that ethnic somewhere in my genes, I'm not even gonna bother. Developed. Yeah. And was like a key figure in the like national theater of Sweden. And yeah. like, which yeah. which is where Bergman also came up through that after Soberg had already moved into film. And then seven years before this movie, Soberg makes a movie called Torment, which Bergman writes. And then I believe what how it happens is, is that Soberg likes the um the script so much that he lets Bergman be the AD mostly as a like fucking like shadow situation we're we um, are have we may have to start over man we are having different conversations right now what do you mean i'm talking about strindberg the playwright oh shit. i'm like what are you talking about oh, i'm very God. confused yeah. i thought you yeah no i, thought I was like so mentor does not apply when the man was dead <laughs> i misheard what you said yeah no i'm but, so tired but Strindberg, the playwright who wrote August Strindberg, the playwright who okay, wrote Miss Julie. Let's, sorry, let's. We let's, need to break the. We need to like. We need to categorize this in like two different fields. Strindberg, the per the playwright who wrote Miss Julie, very influential upon I think the type of subject matter and. Yes. Bergman spoke publicly about his work. Spoke very conflictedly about his work, if that's a word. I don't know. Uh, yes, <laughs> and kind of was able to hold duality of being revolted in a way by Strindberg, but also enticed by like the energy that it brings to the table. Now, 
Stolberg <laughs> was yes. <a> filmmaker. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> who he preceded who preceded Bergman? Is kind of a Bergman it. mentor figure. Yes. 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 Because Bergman writes this movie and like shot and ads this movie that Stolberg makes, and that kind of very like immediately off the success of that launches into becoming a filmmaker in his own right, even if he doesn't really start to break until like 10 years later. Silver, the director of the critically acclaimed Miss Julie from 19. Yes, which is to based on the Strindberg circle. play. To bring it full circle. <laughs> yeah. so, I know very little about August Strindberg. Beyond I was... that I know he's an important playwright of that like turn of the century era. Yeah, that was just what I was going to say. It was like, yeah. I know of him in the sense that like, the reverence that's held for the works of Chekhov or later in America, Tennessee Williams, something like that. Like he has that kind of ubiquitousness within Swedish. Yes. Art house, naturalistic storytelling. I I feel like Strindberg, Chekhov and Ibsen. Yes. Are kind of this like Holy Trinity of, of guys who are working around the same time and kind of in similar milieus. And I feel like Ibsen and Chekhov kind of have this 120 year later, like relevance that Strindberg has kind of dropped off in there, likely because of just from my parsing from reading into this movie, this like perceived heavy misogyny to a lot of his stuff. I think Um, so. I think that's kind of. He 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 I think he became problematic fairly early on in the grand scheme of yes. like gender politics in Europe. You know? Leave Ullman in making this movie, in doing press for this movie, talked a lot about, you know, not to make this whole thing about Bergman, because even though I think Bergman is this like weird specter sitting over this movie, um, <laughs> yeah. she talked That's a lot about true. how Bergman never particularly cottoned to Strindberg and that she has never liked Strindberg and yeah. that she saw this movie as an opportunity to kind of reckon with and offer a corrective to the play. And in fact, she made this movie because she couldn't get a Doll's House movie, the Ibsen play. Um, off the ground but i think um you were right in linking those three together i think in a similar manner to how schrader joined dreyer brisson and ozu and transcendental filmmaking a lot of theater scholars have grouped those three in as being an important movement within the the world of playwriting <laughs> I'm exhausted and I don't know where to go from here. So but, um, but just, just, just for, just for context sake, listeners, if you aren't super locked into <laughs> mid century European art cinema, if you're more fucking Vicky creeps in Bergman Island than yeah. uh, Tim Roth in Bergman Island, what a, what a fucking picture. Um, what a fucking picture. Oh my God. It. It's so Good. It's the best. Um, Liev Ullman, who directed this movie, Miss Julie, from 2014, yes, was briefly the romantic partner of Ingrid Ber- Ingmar Bergman, who is this titanic, the storied, incredibly important Swedish filmmaker and like one of the big art house filmmakers of like the birth of art house cinema as like a Mm -hmm. commercial and like critical idea in the 1950s. Um, 
And and while she was only like briefly romantically attached to them, him, they had a like artistic collaboration that lasted for decades, well past they they broke up. Um, and she has kind of in the you know, 15 years since his death, become in many ways the like bearer of his legacy and the like the 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 ideological Bergman estate, if not I think the actual is, Bergman estate. I think she's quite literally the executor of his. She might estate. also quite yeah. literally be the executor of the Bergman estate, but she like yeah. gives interviews about Bergman. And so she like it is sometimes shitty, it's often shitty to say that like the female half of this male female partnership only exists in conversation with the male. But also Lee Volman has like clearly spent large swaths of her the last 20 years like putting herself as the extension of Bergman now that Bergman is dead. I mean, there's a number of strange specters that yeah. that carry themselves over this film and it only only strengthened by the fact that Jessica Chastain, who is the star of this film, is yes. plays not the Lee Volman part, but she is in an American remake of uh scenes from a marriage, the the Bergman series that Lee Volman starred in back in the that's from the 70s, right? Or is that, that 1980? From the 60s, maybe or the 70s? Not the Wait, 60s. is yeah. okay. I've never it's from the 70s. I've ne- yeah. I've never seen either version of Scenes from a Marriage. Does she not oh. play the Lee Volman role? I, I, I thought would that was say- the case. Oh, I'm you. You haven't seen either of them. I've not seen either. Where to approach it from here? Um, I think that very similarly to this story, this Miss Julie story, scenes from a marriage is very much a interrogation of kind of what place does gender have within what society has projected onto like relationships between people and what the new American version that was made during the pandemic attempts to do is literally just flip the gen, the flip the roles between the male and female characters. Interesting. Making the, in, in the, in the Bergman version, this isn't a spoiler. I think it's fairly expected. The male character is more of the sexual aggressor, the more uh, class aspirational, uh, the female character is more domestic, more interested in, in in having like strong interpersonal relationships, things of that nature. Chastain plays the colder version of the couple Interesting. In, the, in the remake. While it, I mean, it's very easy to say that Oscar Isaac plays the Lee Bowman character in the newer one, okay. even though okay. he's the male in the relationship, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you were saying... Um... That Lee Volman is not the lead of Scenes from a Marriage. And that no, was no, no. Because I've never seen, like I said, I've never no, seen that, No, that's not what I meant. I mean, I, I again, not to spoil because this happens very, very early on. It kind of project, it kind of propels the rest of the story. In the first episode of Bergman scene, scene from a Marriage, the, I forget the character's names, but the male partner reveals to Lee Volman that he is having he has been having an affair and that he's leaving the family and he's leaving that night okay and he's like packing his stuff and then in the new version Oscar Isaac is kind of the homemaker and Jessica Chastain comes home from a business trip and she says I've been having an affair and I'm packing my stuff and I'm moving out tonight and it's very it's very much a flip-flop of what's going on in the earlier 
Bergman version. Um, I'm not I'm not especially receptive to it for that reason. Okay, interesting. Yeah. But yeah, but so I, think, I think like even I think like the fact that Chastain is in that at a very much a projection of Lee Volman on screen and the fact that she's in this movie like it reinforces it reinforces the fact that Bergman and the works of Bergman and kind of Bergman's opinions towards gender and relationships carries over this film in a way well it's also interesting yeah. because Jessica Chastain does this right after the sort of like abortive disastrous disappearance of Eleanor Rigby project Mm-hmm. which struck me sight unseen having seen none of it or scenes from a marriage struck me i remember when that was announced i was like it feels like some american trying to do like a fresh <laughs> take on scenes from a marriage that's like not an official remake i mean that's not even like a hot take is that lir- that almost yeah. literally happens like every not even 10 maybe yeah. every four years there's a kind of an american take on scenes from but a marriage. that thing's yeah. a colossal disaster like yeah calamitous listeners for for context sake because no one on the planet has seen it um the disappearance from eleanor rigby was a two-part movie that played tiff in like 2013 starring chastain and james mcavoy as like a married couple dissolving and the gimmick was that the two movies told the same story but from each lead's perspectives um, so you had to watch them both to like take it in. And it was so disastrously received that when it actually got released like two years later, they just cut the whole thing together into one movie and ditched the yeah. entire gimmick and it just disappeared. That's the that's the wildest part of <laughs> is that like the amount of time that that thing sat on the shelf of the distributor trying just just like brainstorming how to release it in a way that which is which is i will say like in any part enjoyable i i do have a bit of like sympathy for ned benson who wrote and directed that those movies because if he had done it five years later any streaming service in the world would have just been like yeah done easy easy we'll just we'll lock both of those but 2013 is just too early well almost (laughs) you're almost incorrect because what the streaming services will do five years later is be like just remake scenes from a marriage but that's also true (laughs) yeah oh you know you know what other friends of the podcast are in that movie uh see the scenes from marriage reboot or disappearance of eleanor rigby disappearance of eleanor rigby Uh, there's only like three people in Scenes from a Marriage reboot. Uh, fucking Big Bill Hurt. Yep. Fucking my girl Jess Wexler, like one of my favorite actresses. Is Jess Wexler in a Colin Farrell movie? No. Oh, oh you 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 yeah, met yeah, literally yeah. friends. Of, I, I met friends. Uh, yeah. Kieran Hines. I know Kieran Hines. Yeah, I'm Kieran so Hines. looking at it right and here. And Isabel Huppert. Oh. And future guest Catherine Waterston. Oh, really? You yeah. you locked that in? <laughs> it's done. I, last I heard, it was still a little nebulous. <laughs> Have I ever given you my my hot Isabel Huppert take? I don't know. I think I have, but I'll just restate. Is it, it that she's not she's she's not good when she has to speak English? Yeah, is that the, you yeah. gave that on the podcast? I thought okay. I was like, yeah. damn, I said that on the podcast. I, I know you forget. She's... I know you forget that there's a Colin Farrell movie that Isabel Huppert is in that we have talked about. There is. Wow, I it do. might be the most forgettable one. Oh my god, you're right. You're fucking yeah. right. Oh my god. <laughs> Dead man down. 
<laughs> but the weird thing is, like, he's a dead like man. Her. I like he's her in Dead Man Down. That's, that's <laughs> the craziest part of it. Is that I think she's good at Dead Man Down. She's <laughs> charming in a way. Um, yeah. Connor, have you seen the 1951 Miss Julie? Uh, I have seen the 1951 okay. Miss Julie. Actually, I have also seen the 1951 Miss Julie. Yeah, I watched it about a month ago. It's uh, a very, it's a, a very different. It's a very different film, yeah. and I'm going to be annoying. And I think most of what I have to say about this movie is going to be in conversation with that movie. Because I can't help but think of the it in any other way. Well, let me get something out of the way first, because I would just like to say yeah. that we're rusty. Ooh. And and well, we're out of this practice. Is, this is a hard. This is a hard movie to come out of, like the the barren desert of interesting projects that we have just made our way through. Uh, you think to, like, jump back you into you it. think we're um, out of it? I find that very interesting. What's next week? Aren't we well, yeah, of... yeah, but you think we're out of it? I think we're, we're the... still in it. Oh, are, oh, yeah, yeah. I guess so. I, I, I can see where you're going with it, but uh, I, I, think I have some what... empirical data to back that up at the end of this. Don't let me forget. <laughs> I think what's difficult. I think what's difficult about 2014's Miss Julie, directed by yes. Lee Baldwin, for me, is that it really oscillates intellectually in a way that, like, I find very hard to tether on to what's happening. In this yes. Film. I do think that the performances in a way are astounding in their gargantuanness, which like, I'm just relieved that I get to see Colin Farrell, like doing something real. I don't know if you feel, did you feel that way while you were watching it? I, like, I mean, it's going to be, I, I, I think we should actually just dive into the plot synopsis and then maybe take this like bit by bit, because there are, four actors on screen in this movie and one of them is only in like a brief prologue so functionally there are three people in this movie and i think it's and actually kind of easy and a dog a dog is not a person <laughs> a dog is not a person i think it's actually kind of easy to just fucking like ding on down all three yeah, actors in this true. movie. i just want to get that out of the way it's like compared to some of the stuff we've been watching it's like it's refreshing to 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 see we haven't we haven't really we're we're kind of returning back to like where he was when he was in stuff like phone booth even though this uh, this has much loftier aspirations than something like phone booth does we uh, are kind was, of returning in a sense to to the acting i don't know experimentalism that we appreciated of him when he was younger i i think colin farrell is fucking transcendent in this movie <laughs> And I think this movie is a train wreck. I think you are articulating how I'm feeling, although I just like I do not quite understand how I'm feeling. But yes, sure. I, I would say I'm in agreement with that. This yeah. movie is good. This movie is a bit of a disaster. Do you want to get into it? Let's get into it. Um, like I said, this is the 2014 Lee Ullman film written and directed by Lee Ullman. Uh, Miss Julie, uh, based on the 1888 yep. play by August Strindberg. Um, it stars Jessica Chastain, Colin Farrell, and Samantha Morton. Returning friend, Samantha Morton. And that's it. There is a little girl who plays a young Jessica Chastain 
for a few minutes at the very beginning. But other than that, it stars. There's a dog. There's a dog. A dog and Sam. And maybe a living canary at one point. And no one else. I'm not quite sure if it's just a prop or an actual living canary. This is a real based on a play ass movie. Yeah, I don't. I'm I'm typically I typically don't like that in any case. I don't know. I go back and forth and this is. Well, we'll talk about it. Um, okay. Let me try to. This is actually kind of a. This is a, this is actually I think one of the harder ones I've had to do. You just said it was easy like two seconds ago to do the plot synopsis. <laughs> yeah. No, I said talking. I said running through the the movie is going to be easy because oh. we have the the structure of the three actors doing the plot synopsis. I think is kind of hard because it's just you have to do a lot of interpretation. A series of monologues. But the. This is what's the issue with what you're about to do is if, intrinsically, no matter how you synopsize this film, you're going to have to apply an interpretation to what's happening. I think I'm going to be very big picture here. Okay. And just blow through. Okay. The year is 1890. The location is an estate in Ireland. Uh, the estate of a small time aristocrat. Uh, it is Midsummer's Eve, and the estate is functionally empty as the aristocrat is off on business, and all the servants are off in doing the Midsummer, you know, celebrations and revelries. The only people left in the estate are the titular Miss Julie, played by Jessica Chastain, the daughter of the, the Lord of the Manor, John, the valet, the butler of the estate, played by Colin Farrell, and is it Catherine? Yes, Catherine. Yeah, Catherine. The There's a Kathleen. Um, oh, actually, I think you're right. It is Catherine. Yeah, it's Kathleen, you, yeah, yeah. the 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 cook played by Samantha Morton. Um, Kathleen and John are nebulously, maybe somewhat, somewhat formally engaged to be married at some point in the future. But Julie, I think in a sense, it's like it's one of those old timey things where it's yeah. essentially out of situation and obligation to yes. each other. Yeah. Yes. They're not, yeah, they're like de facto engaged, even if like no formal plans have been made. But Julie, who is a bit of an erratic, flighty, maybe mentally unwell mistress, has this odd relationship with John that has been going on for some time when the film starts, um, where she flirts with him aggressively and improprietously and uses her station and her power over him to basically make him like submit to her advances. John is very uncomfortable with the way she treats him, more so if anything else because of the impropriety of it. But as the first chunk of the film plays out and these flirtations grow more and more aggressive he slowly starts to warm to them even if he never fully gives in and always pushes julie away whenever she tries to like fully consummate gradually the two engage in this back and forth banter in the kitchen moving outside at points and when kathleen retires and goes goes to goes to her chambers for whatever business. Um, the two start to get very very affectionate with it, and John confesses that he has loved her since she was a child. The two slip off to her bedroom and they fuck. Um, at which point, shit goes kind of haywire. Um, John's sort of growing tenderness is immediately replaced by this like kind of 
brutal cruelty alternating with like aggressive displays of love as she like ping pongs back and forth and like begs Julie to flee with him while Julie having lost her virginity seems to be slowly succumbing into madness. And if John was slowly growing more receptive in the first half, he grows crueler and crueler and crueler and more vicious to her over the second half. And she grows angrier to him. Eventually he basically convinces her to steal money from her father and flee the estate with him. At which point he returns to Kathleen. Kathleen reveals that she is aware that they slept together and she browbeats John and basically reminds him of his station and duty and that he needs to, you know, be a, a pious man and respect his role in this, you know, aristocratic structure. John then kind of violently mocks Julie, who has performed the robbery and brutally murders her pet bird. Uh, and and the two of them seem alternately disinterested in actually fleeing with each other, but not really sure how they should proceed and still clearly very sexually attracted to each other. At which point Kathleen re-enters the drama. Julie pleads the three of them flee together with Kathleen being their servant. Kathleen basically tells the two of them to fuck off and like states that she is a pious Christian woman and that the two of them basically need to get their asses to church. Um, and then she leaves. Uh, they get noticed that the Lord of the Manor is going to return and John immediately kind of snaps into his need to fulfill a good role as being a, a functional servant. Julie is distraught and completely mentally unwell, and she is unsure how to proceed. John tells her to kill herself, and she does. And that's the end of the film. That's it? Yeah. It is two hours and ten minutes long. It's to my, you know, I've seen the original movie. I've never read the play, but it feels fairly, uh, fairly... <laughs> I'm so tired. It, feel, it feels uh, fairly faithful to the um, original subject matter. Again, I other than the fact the that it transplants the 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 actual location that the film takes, the setting that the film takes. Yeah, for in. reasons I could not parse, I assume they are funding related. That this movie, this movie was an Irish Swedish co-production. I think um, that internationally, it makes the themes of the film more ascertainable i, I don't know I, like see i yeah i disagree because there's this whole this whole implicit colonial subtext that that comes from this because chastain's not playing irish no she's doing a bad job of playing as british in her cast yeah well i was gonna say i was like i think her cast her her casting her being american in this film is very conscious of that fact that she's, she's like an playing, outsider to this. She's playing a she goes, she's playing an English woman. She's I know playing she's an playing an English woman. Yeah. But she's she it Julie oh, she, is an outsider yes, yes. within the society that the the world of the film takes place in. And Colin, as in how many how many Irish films has he done? I mean, I guess very few. We've film. talked about this. Intermission is one. Uh <laughs> what was that first movie called? Ordinary decent Ordinary criminal. decent criminal. He doesn't does he he says like what three words in that movie? Um he, I think wait, let, let me get where I'm going. I think it's it's interesting to me that he's doing an accent, a regional Irish accent in this as he does yes. in Ondine. Because in this yes. one he's he's doing an Ulster accent. Yes. Well, whereas in Ondine he's doing a more rural, I think southwestern. Yes. Irish well, accent. this movie yeah. is set in Ulster and yeah. 
Ondine is obviously set on the islands, like in the south of Ireland. Yeah. But like, obviously, this 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 play is dealing with this whole Michigas of, you know, the 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 late days of the like still truly existent aristocratic structure in Eng in Europe. It's kind and of the takes place during the crumbling of feudalism yes. and like what effects does that have on yes on these what effects does it have on the people like john who's written as jean in the original <laughs> that kind yeah. of the the i don't know how far to go because obviously i think the ending of the play or the ending of this film kind of turns back against the characterization of the character as portrayed early on but like this somewhat intelligent man who has taken advantage of the kind of democratization of culture being books, being the ability to travel for cheap, the in a parasitic way to like engage with the aristocracy while working for the aristocracy. But then because of that symb symbiosis, like adopting manners of the aristocracy for himself but yeah. that kind of like that I think what the play identifies is that as feudalism is crumbling, those type of people, they don't quite have the plan, but they start to feel like there may be a route for them to mobilize upwards in society. Yes. Yeah. No, I think I mean, I think that's very pointedly what the play is interested in, in this, you know, you know, triangle of people who have different not just like class or economic relationships, but like personal and ethical relationships to how they feel about these kind of decaying aristocratic structures. But I think if you move that to Northern Ireland, where what we're talking about in Northern Ireland, right, is a society in which that collapse was but not but necessarily. Yeah. <laughs> a society in which that was like the British imparting the British aristocratic system onto Northern Ireland as like an explicit colonial project to like yeah. breed the Irish out of Ulster. To both like, breed the Irish out in Ulster, but also, I mean, through the history, again, not, not necessarily something that Colin's career, although we may get to a point with Banshees where we can kind of like elaborate a little bit more where we're going to have a chance to talk about this, but like, if the Swedish if the Swedish play takes place during a period in which the central European structures are 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 in a mode of transformation, whereas the Northern Irish societal structures are in a, a period of hardening, where they are becoming more restrictive and really clamping down in a way to ensure that the status quo will remain and persist throughout so like there is a sense in which like the swedish play i think you can project onto the swedish play an awareness of the times changing but that doesn't carry over through this change of setting if you understand yes what I'm but saying. yeah but it's such an interesting change because if you if you actually want to do something with it there's like a wealth of like Yes, yes. Interesting ripples that, that this Definitely. movie is completely like. If this movie is set in 1890, then like you leave Ullman. Why are you not forward thinking 
what is John's relationship going to be to the war for independence 20 years later, right? Like this is a gener this is a generation before men like this go to war, right? Even if not literally him, because he may but have it's been also, too old. It's also two generations after men like that went to war. I know. It's, for it's the very so, same reason. Yeah. It's so <laughs> it's so like it's such an interesting place to like slot it in to Irish history that the, but then sidesteps the the interest the the interesting aspect of it like entirely. Yeah, but almost. but you yeah. but but your your question is then is this only set in Ireland so Colin can do his natural accent? It's not even his natural accent. Like there's, there, a, there's a functionally no value gained from setting this in Ireland. There there is a film from the eighties that I quite like called Cal. I don't know if you've ever seen this film. You've mentioned Irish it film to me. That Helen Mirren is in, which as an IRA film, I I think if you go into it without any of the knowledge base is probably not really that interesting because it's not really an action movie uh, despite the constant threat of domestic terrorism slash uh, urban warfare at play. And, you know, the entire racial slash uh, religious element going on, clashing between peoples. Um, but what I do like about that film a lot is that as a film from the 1980s, it does engage with this very rigid class dichotomy that still existed in Northern Ireland, which was part of the reason that the troubles got as bad as they did at the time. And that being uh, this kind of aggressive violence between people who were inheriting like the benefits of colonialism and like living as landlords and reaping the benefits of owning everything at hand and the people who were left at the bottom but then i think it i think in like most of these western cultures especially that engage with like british colonialism if you're talking about america it's like that ends in the 1770s and maybe there's a war in, in the early 1800s, but it doesn't really like go beyond that. And then when you're talking about Northern Ireland, it's like you're dealing with the same thing that's persisting through the, the modernity of the 1980s. And that's a yeah. film that like captures that. That like in Ireland, feudalism, at least in Northern Ireland, feudalism still existed through that point in time. And like yes. that a lot of this things were said in the name of the Republican cause in the name of like religious affinities. But like, I think what that film acknowledges is that a lot of this violence is a product of the hardening economic relationship between the haves and the have nots, the people who owned everything and the servicers like John in this film who didn't have any route beyond sustaining that of the people who owned. I am talking insane circles around stuff. No, that's right fine. No, you're getting it. But like, there, there's just a. a, a I'm saying a, that this film, to 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 elaborate on what you're saying, this film doesn't engage with that. Yes. Yeah. But 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 it invites that there is just this inherent additional complication to the 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 class debate that's going on in this movie when you add colonialism to it that this movie is completely disinterested in ever engaging with and it just baffles me and i'm like turned off from the beginning because i'm like i i can i can feel it right i can feel that that 
she's more understand. interested in engaging yeah. with the legacy of the play than she is with recontextualizing it in this different environment. What you would love to see would be what Park Chan-wook did with the fingersmith in taking yes. that story, taking that. It's very similar, taking that story about class dichotomy and applying it to what I'm actually a region I'm, and people. Yeah. Yes. That, a, a, a million percent. Um, I'm also thinking I have not seen any of these, but I feel like a lot of Claire Denis early stuff that is set in Africa oh, is yeah. dealing with like these similar tensions of like the eroticization of the like colonized like servant in a way that's obviously reads much more visibly because of the racial difference in a way that this one doesn't. Yeah. I and think if- what's interesting about Denise films though is that she she portrays she portrays the 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 experiences of the French in Africa like Africa itself as an inconsequential playground where yes. actions can be done onto people without the consequences of but is not especially and I think this telling is that not kind of the take of Ullman that Julie is this like spoiled child who's treating the, the, the her servants as like dolls but it has nothing to do about the servants being irish it has nothing to do with the servants yeah. being irish but it should because the the opening scene of this movie which i think is clearly the most interesting scene of this movie and it's the most clear invention of this movie is julie as a young girl i think we can parse that her mother has just died or has died somewhat recently uh, because it does come out in the course of the text that her mother dies when Julie is a young girl and like that bears and her memories of her mother like weigh heavily on her. But this little girl is like wandering around this decrepit, empty manor and she's like crying out for her mother and she like feels adrift and she ends up wandering down to the brook where at the end of the movie she will kill herself and she looks up Spoiler and she's alert. I said that already. I know, I know. I, I already know. said that. At the place in fucking 1888. Um, <laughs> she looks up in a tree and she sees that she's like shoved one of her dolls in this like awkward, like grotesque position, like in the branches of the tree. And she just like yeah. smiles and she's content. And then it immediately cuts to John like 10 years later, like bitching about how like crass Julie is with her flirtations with him. I think that's an interesting juxtaposition. I I have always loved Lee Volman, as I think most cinephiles should. She's one of the best actresses of the 20th century. <laughs> she's a titanic talent, <laughs> even when she's in like borderline unwatchable movies like The Immigrants in the New Land. I don't know if you feel this way about Miss Julie, but I think what I'm recognizing is that there is an abundance of things to to just kind of satiate on after you watch the film but it they are all byproducts of the performances that these incredible actors give byproducts of the performance well hold on <laughs> you, you you keep stating that like it's a it's an accepted truth and i'm gonna push back on that um byproducts of that and just byproducts of the of well, maybe how this Colin. movie yeah. is in conversation with the original because i think I think there are two key differences between this movie and the Alf Sober, which I should not keep calling the original. It is not like these are the only two adaptations of 
well yeah <laughs> miss julie but uh, the original in the sense that like it was the it was the, the canonic one. one that brought the miss yes. julie story to the screen yes yeah um like i said this movie is set this play is set in the context of like it is it is midsummer's eve which i guess in sweden is traditionally a time period where um old class distinction rocks and yes but 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 that, that like the, the sort of like polite society boundaries of class distinctions are meant to be dissolved and yeah. everyone's supposed to just celebrate together and i think in, the i think the idea of like midsummer's eve is very much uh in line with i think i think strindberg is alluding to it in the way that other playwrights were engaging with the carnivalesque as yes. kind of like this is this field within which class structure can dissolve yes. because people are, i think it's i think it's probably because stigma is dissolving and when stigma yes. dissolves the 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 rigidity that holds people in specific strata also falls away and, and there's this idea that you're you're supposed to be able to act truthfully without consequences which obviously is like not an actual it's like a pantomime that people pretend for the holiday there's yeah there's a line in this one where colin says something like it's midsummer's eve it's the day when like lord and servant alight are like are supposed to speak their heart yeah and, and be true and he knows he's lying but what happens in vegas stays in vegas baby. yes but but you said carnival-esque if this movie is very like spartan and just about these three people like in this house ignoring the party that's happening um next door basically yeah the the, the 1951 is very carnivalesque like it is very much about like they're constantly crashing in and out of this functional orgy that like is is a is meant to be a contrast to this like complex psychosexual dynamics and i think because there's that carnivalesque energy the original one has this, I think, very like Freudian hysteria to the sexual politics of it in a way that I think if if this is going to say the two big differences between the two, I think the 1951 one is a movie about Julie. And I think this is a movie about John, even if Jessica Chastain is top build. This is a movie about his like frustrations and irritations and chafing against the class structure and his gradually revealed like sadism and cruelty and the 51 one is a movie about like a woman who is so overcome with horniness that she is like losing her mind and you're locked in her headspace as she like prostrates herself amongst this like fucking slab of masculine sexual energy which is what the jean character is in the 51 one he's just a fucking like beefy hunk of a guy i think that's a very insightful take and i think to to hit on some evidence that like proves your point i think everything that you learn about the julie character character in the ullman film is revealed to shine light on something deeper about the john character Yes. Julie's reactions to the kind of interplay that is happening between her and John really serves to incite how you feel about John, not how you feel about Julie. Yes. If that I makes mean, sense. This movie opens with 
John complaining to Kathleen that sometime earlier in the day, like he was at a dance with the other servants and Julie came down and like forced him to dance with her, even though she knows he's engaged and how uncomfortable that made him that like she would be so like callous as to use her authority over him. Now, I am yeah. sure that that is how the play starts. And the reason I'm sure that is because I, I saw some references to the play, like famously starting with him being like, she's out of her mind. And this in this dialogue scene. Yeah. And obviously it's a play, right? You have to keep the action minimalized. You can't have this crowd of extras in a play for this one scene. The 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 51 version starts with a like near silence, dialogue-free, I mean, like 10-minute sequence that dramatizes this like weird, interesting seduction and like Julie working up the courage to like go to the servants dance and like breaking this social contract and entering the space she's not supposed to be in and being overcome by the like jubilance of it all. And it like sets the movie on this like note decisively and intentionally unstable energy that I think radiates through the entire rest of the movie that this one is so steadfast in its intellect. What did you say at the start of this about it being like too intellectual for its own good? You said something to that effect. I just think like, I think what what I struggle with it is that I, like I said, like I, I'm, I read, I, I read and I am consistently rereading so much into what this film has yeah. presented to me. Yeah. I'm not sure it's coherent, but in a way like that it's to me, that's like inconsequential it's coherency. Cause I'm more, I'm more it's the thoughts that it's 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 forcing me to think like for me in the beginning of the film the very first piece of dialogue is John annoyed because is John annoyed because Julie is drawing eyes to him even though everybody else knows that he is for all intents and purposes engaged or is he annoyed because he is not in a position where he the strong male character played by Colin Farrell in this film, who has kind of like worked his way up from poverty to some semblance of stature within the society. Is he annoyed because she is the one person that he cannot seduce in that public setting that like any, any interaction that happens between John and Julie in that public setting is one in which Julie has all the power and one in which everybody else around acknowledges that she holds the power. But then like the film does a disservice to that by like you're saying, not portraying said <laughs> scenario. I, 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 I started this movie and I had the same thought, but the reason I had the same thought is because I have memories of having the same thought at that <laughs> scene yeah. in the Soberg version. And the reason I have that thought in the same, in the same scene, in the Soberg version is because I feel like Soberg has, done this prologue to like dramatize Jean's like weird indecisiveness where this movie starts and you have to like lock into this. I, I can't even know if I would ever lock into that indecisiveness because I'm aware of the broader lineage of another telling of the story that I think is more nuanced in those things and, and is more performance driven and, and more visual. And it's a completely different take, to be clear. A completely different take that is so yeah. much more about sex. Well, the original, this like, about power. The original to me is, 
the way we're describing it may sound, and I think correctly, obviously it's a more chast version of this because it takes like literally chronologically earlier in time and within a different industry. But I think of the uh, like orgiastic wine sequence from John Frankenheimer's silent uh, seconds and yes. how, and the hysteria, like, like I'm saying, non-intellectualized hysteria that that promotes and that that's yes. that that is more what the original version of this is its intention i mean by. listeners if you are familiar with the works of ingmar bergman you you really see this movie as a forebear to that like freudian sexual madness that i think permeates a lot of his movies even if those movies are very chaste on their face they're so well, that's what I was gonna they're say. so it's erotically like, charged there is something of of a kind between ullman and bergman in the sense of like the ephemerality of the actual like hard plot details of what's happening in this film i guess at bergman's share like he does like his films like i think undeniably kind of share in that that they're like it, the thing about Bergman is that his films function best when they kind of work as like a Rorschach test to yes. the cinephile, not to the mainstream viewer, but like to the cinephile, they work as a Rorschach test where you're kind of projecting everything else you've engaged with in terms his of his movies were very commercially successful. I know, I know. He spent like 10 years in exile because he didn't want to pay taxes <laughs> on them. Okay, like let's chill here. <laughs> let's, let's, he's not the most 2020 guy in the world. He's yeah, not not. I mean, they're all about that, nobody, nobody that Titanic can be. Yeah. We're not talking about like Lav Diaz here, you know. Yeah, nice uh, pull, nice pull, nice pull. Um, what makes you think of Lav Diaz? I just I adore him, but like not that many people have seen his. Never film. seen a Lav Diaz movie? Can I? You've never seen a single one. Never seen one. I think. Hold on. Do you know the the Gene Siskel here in Chicago? Are you aware of this movie theater? I'm aware of it. I've, I've You're aware of the existence it. of it. Yeah. They have, they have started doing. They they did it last year, and I wasn't in Chicago, so I didn't go. And they're doing it again this year, so I assume it's going to be their like stand-in, like go-to January program. But they've started doing this series called Settle In, uh, where they just, just like play Bellatar and Love Diaz. Yes. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I I, I could have sworn they had a Love Diaz one on the roster this year. Uh, they do not. They do have the full Fanny and Alexander. Uh, oh, see, yeah. You know what else they have? You know what I'm, I? I really want to go to. But what? Uh, what they're what showing they? fucking all of Star Spangled to Death, <laughs> the like eight hour Ken Jacobs collage film about how America sucks that you used to only be able to watch like at Ken okay. Jacobs's house. I kind of want to. I kind of want to make the trip to Chicago yeah. just for that. Um, no, but I, I do think like you're saying, bring up the fact of like how commercially successful Bergman is, but like, I, I think there, I think there are differences to the Bergman films that are consistently revisited and kind of picked apart and reinterpreted and redigested. Yes. And there, and the ones like the seventh seal and scenes from a marriage and Fanny and Alexander, which kind of in the time in which they were made and today exists mainstream and commercially in a way that's like very approachable i mean there's there's clear there's clearly a lot of artistry that's happening in scenes from a marriage i know you haven't seen it but it is it is inherently ex accessible in a way that something like cries and whispers isn't 
Sure. Christ in Whispers was a huge hit. I know. It's just it the first it was a it's, huge it's hit. It's inherently in the accessible in a way yeah. that the Passion of Anna isn't. Yes. I've never seen yeah. Passion of Anna. I will say that the Passion Seven of Anna Seal, and maybe my well, favorite Lee Fullman performance. Fucking I mean, if you want to say it, I know it's his his big dog, but fucking persona is like pointedly and decidedly impenetrable. Yeah, yeah. Like in a way that like something like the seventh seal, like for all that I feel like the iconography surrounding the seventh seal is in so many ways the like the thing fucking self-appointed dullards point to when they're like art art movies are boring. I don't want to watch that shit, right? They're like they're picturing like Max von Sydow's sunken face, and then you watch the seventh seal, and it's all like (laughs) fart jokes and sex and like. It's super short and like yeah. there's a and like th- these things are more populous than they could be. This movie's not populous, Miss Julie. This Miss Julie wants you to sit down and think about gender roles in a no, way. No, and I, I I like how the reviews, even the ones that you know, it, if you just read the reviews, they're very mixed, but they're polarized in a way. Yeah, like they're the reviews that are like this is a totemic masterpiece by one of cinema's great people, and there are other reviews that kind of like what you're saying, like. They, it's a disaster it's difficult to pick apart it's disappointing uh as relating to the hype that it had yeah upon well, the hype was big because she yeah. hadn't made a movie in 14 years i mean evilman as a filmmaker and her faithless was like a well-regarded like art house critical darling yeah yeah and, uh, and she's coming off on like chastain's fucking hottest run any actor's ever been on can i just can i say it yeah Chastain's terrible in this movie. Okay. I think she's atrocious. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> I don't know what? if I agree with you. I I think of the three, she's she's by far the least compelling. Yeah, because she's just this like wounded, sad bird who kind of like That's very much what I don't like. Like it's it to me, it's a lot more interesting, especially when the film in this case literally ends with depiction of suicide. It, and to me, for the character to just to be depicted as like a withering, fragile petal of a flower that's kind of being stomped into the ground repeatedly uh, is it it doesn't support what the subject matter would rather do, which is really interrogate the the yeah. the changing scales of power as the the word uh, like as these weaponized words are being thrown at each other. You know what I mean? And it also means that you like, you really don't buy the first half of this movie when the dynamic is supposed to be that like, she's in this weird Dom sub thing with John that only she really enjoys being in. Right. Like, well, it's like you're saying, it's like this movie is about John and this movie is about, this movie is about why and when John is, attracted to her why and when john acts upon his attraction to her what said actions mean upon john not necessarily upon her but like what are the consequences to and on john and how will john escape the situation that he has dug for himself that is what the movie is about he's also like she is just chastain as an actress is just going so big right with all this like frail, fragile, you know, put upon womanhood that like it's just such a fucking ham sandwich of a performance. 
Well, how do you feel about her in general? That's what I'm also going to say is I I was watching this and then I pulled up the Wikipedia and I went to the filmography. I scrolled through this and this was going to be a question. Is she a good actor? (laughs) I don't think so. I see again, like I don't know if I would go so far to say that she's not good, but I've never quite accepted her in the way that she has. I think some people think of her and think of her ascension in Hollywood similar to that of like Adam Driver. But like I can point to the varied, deep, well thought out performances that Driver has given. And I can't necessarily point to much that Chastain has done that really sets in below the surface level of what's happening. Yeah. Like that's that's my thing is that it's yeah. always just it's she's gonna level. go so big, yeah. she's gonna be so loud. And, like, sometimes she can get paired up with, like, a script that I think suits that style. If if the movie, like, meets her and is designed around her, I'm thinking of something like Zero Dark Thirty. Or I'm thinking of something like Molly's Game. Do you like Molly's Game? Because <laughs> it rules. This is the greatest American film of all time. <laughs> um but, like, those are characters, and I know she's playing a real person in both of those, but yeah. those are, like, screen characters who are designed around the sort of, like, if if Jessica Chastain is someone who has modeled her star persona after the Sandra Bullock performance in The Blind Side, which is truly, I think, who Jessica Chastain is as an actress, right? Well, I've never this, put like, that together. But, but that I, is... am I wrong? No, I don't. <laughs> this, like, brash bossy texan like mom right yeah that is her vibe well, those, when you those go are the so... ones where they're designing those characters to be brash and bossy and like badass bitches in a way this is what i have to ask you like is yeah. she bad or i guess i guess i am just like okay you reiterate if... is she bad question mark okay is you jessica asked me Chast- if she was is bad. jessica chastain a bad actress question mark can I answer that question in a slightly? You can answer fashion? that question anybody any way you. Would. Here's here's how I would answer the question: Is Jessica Chastain bad? The Help, Lawless, Mama, Interstellar, The Martian, Crimson Peak, Dark Phoenix, Tammy Faye, The Three Five Five, The Good Nurse. That's the body of work she's picking up. And you can say, like, well, she's really good at Armageddon time. Bossy yeah, but I think lady. I think even her appearance. Okay, so I we're coming to a point where I think you and I maybe on the outs of common opinion about this particular person, but I think we have it sounds like we have the same kind of sentiment, which is the thing I have always struggled with her is the fact that she has modeled herself and her screen persona in this way where she goes so big consistently in every single yes. thing that she does that it feels so put on and so inorganic in yes. a way that in a way that in terms of something like this film Miss Julie I actually think that if this was the only performance of this type that she has ever given it would benefit the film but the fact that we know that she does this in but almost every movie that she appears in. This is how she is. This yeah. is who she is. You That's haven't seen, I assume, because I have you're not like seen Dark Phoenix. Extraordinarily <laughs> busy. You haven't seen Memory. No. 
Yeah. Yeah. Which she is allegedly good in. I don't know. Michelle Franco's a weird director. I'll watch it every that's the thing, is every so often she kind of pops her head up and like really surprises me with something. And I think it's not even so much good direction as it is good casting. Like when she showed up in Armageddon Time. Because I do think she's great in Armageddon Time. Yeah, but I do. Yeah, but like you're saying, it's like that is not the bigness is what that performance is all about. The bigness and the fakeness of it. When I say inorganic, what I'm really meaning is that it's 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 fake. It's it's artificial. Now, I, I will say this. This movie. Have you seen a most violent year? I have. This movie, Miss Julie, obviously like coincides with the release of a most violent year, which low-key kind of kneecaps Miss Julie is the problem because it's not like a most violent here is even that big. So there's like no slipstream for another movie to like it carried on. Yeah. And it's she's really fucking good in a most violent year. But she's good in a most violent year because she is someone who is pretending to be a Jessica Chastain character. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, yeah, but it's she's like, playing that role in that movie. That the the person she is 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 playing is giving a performance in her day-to-day life. What I'm trying to say in the sense that like her her filmography as a whole detracts from Miss Julie and what's happening in yeah. this specific film is that like in something like a most violent year in something like the scenes from a marriage remake that Oscar Isaac is is also in. It's in I think even in Molly's game and I'm trying to think of the other, not interstellar, (laughs) obviously what I'm, what I'm about to say doesn't. I'm going to get yelled at by the way, for just casually like saying that she's bad at interstellar. And to those people, I say, she's so fucking bad in interstellar. And I know I don't like interstellar, but like, you can't tell me that she isn't fucking like, bodied by the other two actresses who play that same character in that movie (laughs) especially the like random kid who i don't think has ever been in another movie like no she's definitely that that kid has definitely been in other movies let me look she's been in like multiple movies i'm sure yeah young murph mackenzie foy yeah. No, oh my god, of course. She's Renesme in oh, Breaking yeah. Dawn Part yeah, 2. Yeah. <laughs> and she's she in the was Nutcracker. in the Four Realms. Yeah. Oh. She went to oh. the Four Realms. I agree with you. I, I don't think she's very good in Interstellar. I'm hotter on that film than you are, but I also think that most people are. I also think that that character, and by that I mean that specific like 30 to 40 year old Murph in the movie is possibly the worst written Christopher Nolan character. Yes. Period. And it's, it's such a hacky thing to say, but fucking high bar to clear there for a worst. <laughs> you know what? No, I actually don't think she's the worst written uh, Christopher Nolan woman. I said character. Like, I think she might. Oh, be, you think I character? Think that, oh, I thought you meant the women in Nolan movies. No, I think that no. version of Murph might be the worst written. She's bad. Can, I, can I give you a hot take on who the worst written Nolan character is? Who? I think it's Katie Oppenheimer. No. Because I think she's hung out to dry by that movie. And no, like I that, think she's hung out to dry by historicity. <laughs> I think that's. No, because I think, I think that, that, that ending scene with her. Right. Where she like comes in and gives the testimony is such a good scene 
that the rest of the movie has not set up because she's just been this screaming drunk who the movie like remembers to give like three minutes of screen time every 40 minutes. I think Kitty Oppenheimer is the, the fucking I don't think it's a perfect film. moving rendition of who that person was, but I, I don't think it's terribly written. I think there's actually a, a, a well there. Murph is a fucking nightmare of a character. Murph, it, that, the, the little oh kid, God. the little kid Wait. moving. So Ellen moving. Burstyn, incredible. Great. <laughs> the adult Jessica Chastain <laughs> Murph, horrible. Can I just say um, things that make me happy? is uh i did say Mackenzie foy has not been in anything else and obviously she is famously renesmee because they needed to get like the most adult looking child in the world you imprinted on my daughter to, to, to offset the imprinting stuff um her last movie was i believe shot in 2018 it was shot in 2019 when she was 19 so clearly this is someone who like got out from underneath the stage parents and was like, I'm out. I'm done. No one can tell me I have to be in stuff anymore. Like she tried it like once when she was like a legal adult and she was like out So then I say, God bless you, kid. You fucking made it out of there. Okay. Ooh, it always, it always, it, whenever I see the child stars who stop working when they're like legal adults, I'm always like equally horrified and relieved for them. My, my, you thing, know what it means. My thing with the child stars is that makes me feel bad is, I feel like once you've been brought into the Christopher Nolan world, you should not be released to then go do the four realms. That was supposed to be a big sense? deal. I know that was supposed to be That a big was deal. supposed to be a big hit. That's a big lead role for her. I'm saying more like I want more responsibility to the auteurs to protect these kids that they bring in and not just like release them back out into the wild of like random studio bullshit. Yes. You understand what I'm saying? Yes. I have a little bit more trust that there's like actually development and growth going on on a Christopher Nolan set as opposed to like the general Disney machine that's just kind of like drowning these kids up and mushing them back out. Um, I don't point. know if we've ever talked about this guy and how much I like cannot stand this actor, but I just found out that Eugenio Derbez is in Nutcracker in the Four Realms, and that's <laughs> got to be the single worst performance ever given. I've not seen that movie. I can just picture it. Man, I I really can't. I I really can't remember. I have seen that movie. Eugenio Derbez, you ain't shit. You're the oh, fucking man. worst actor alive. Where I hate you so from? much. Because he fucking sucks. I'm sorry. Have you ever well, seen him? He's got like movie? a decently varied and long filmography. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> he's like bad. He's always bad. Um, boy, how do we get back on track? How did we get onto here? Murph, Chastain. Chastain oh, is a Chastain, bad Chastain, Chastain, Chastain. It's uh, insane most, that she won that Oscar. Most of Chastain's uh, like embodiment on screen is is the use of like erratic. This is what I don't like about it. Not, I'm choosing not to use the word strong because I don't think it comes across as strong in any of these performances. It's erratic femininity as a mode to like neuter male stature on screen like the aesthetic of it yes does that do you, do you kind of like her her eroticism is used to cut down oscar isaac's stature on screen sure. in that is films. probably a better way to say it than badass bossy bitch which is what i said <laughs> but but that's not what she comes across as in these films yeah. she like does not come across as a badass bossy bitch like that is not you're right no the you're persona right. that you're, she you're actually putting, you're putting it better you're putting it better assumes, you're smarter yeah. than i am which is why it comes across as artificial, which is why it really bugs me, yeah. which is why it's used well 
<laughs> which is why it's used well in Armageddon time for that like brief moment. She also doesn't have to like interact with another human being in Armageddon time. She just has to like get up there and give a speech. I think that's why it's it's yeah. almost it's almost what we are doing to her happens within the film itself. And it's it's why she's good in Molly's game because she and Aaron Sorkin are similarly fake. Do you get what I I'm don't saying? know. I don't know if it goes that full circle. We're going to fucking do Molly's game on this podcast someday. And you're going to be like, that's a good movie call. I guess we could do Michael Sarah. Don't, if don't we... fucking dangle that carrot in front of me because I will fucking make you do it. Here's what I'm saying, Connor. Just, just hear me out for a second here. Super bad. Oh, Rebecca. Juno. Yeah, but how many seasons of. Uh... Of uh, arrest development five, whatever. Okay, Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, extreme movie, Youth and Revolt, which is a masterpiece. Scott Pilgrim, interesting. Crystal Fairy and the Magic Cactus, great. Magic Magic, insane. This is the end. Wild hits. Did you know that hits existed and David Cross directed it? I did. I saw it. Lego Batman movie should have won the Oscar. Oh, Molly's game. Guys. Fucking have you seen Gloria Bell? He's insane in Gloria Bell. We get to do Barbie. We get to do fucking dream scenario. The adults is one of the best <laughs> movies of the year. Can we do pencil it in? Michael Sarah, it's happening. All right. I guess the decision has been made live, people. We're doing it. We're doing it live. He's to announce here event. next season in Jonathan Majors and the season right after that, Michael Sarah. <laughs> um never saw Lemon. Man, he's so good at Molly's game. Have you seen the Lego Batman movie? I have, yeah. He's fucking yeah. next level funny in the Lego. Is he Batman the best movie. part of that movie? I think that movie is like kind of incredible. I don't um, that's not a hot take, dude. I think that's I know, like a generally so, shared opinion about that film. Yeah. What are, what what are what's better in that movie? The uh, Michael Sarah's performance, the voice performance, yeah. or the movie's like insistence that the Snyder stuff is just like a, a crime against humanity. That's <laughs> really he's he's really extraordinary in that. So Jessica Chastain, I think we both agree is not good in this movie. See, I just don't know if I would go that far because to me, she's never come across as bad. I just okay. I don't so know. I'm if, just a hater, is what you're. Saying. I don't know if I just feel personally aggrieved by her, and I was really trying to check myself while watching this film because I could feel it happening, and something about Chastain, and uh, I think the eroticism that's portrayed in this film as done by other female actresses is like, it really makes me question my own misogyny and like my own discomfort with women behaving that way on screen. Uh, I just don't think I've sat with it long enough to make the, the true judgment that I think it's bad, but like, I does just it don't move think me in a way where like, do I see truth in it? No, no. Yeah. There's no truth in it. There's no interesting choices in it. It's just big. She can't do the accent. But as like, I'm saying, the first line, as I'm saying, in my opinion, that is kind of the dominating affect of her career. Yeah. To me. You could just that say she's, like she's this a bad actress. <laughs> people can be bad actresses. They can be. They can be. And I know that I have stuck up for people on this podcast more so than than you and our guests may 
I'm uh, a hater. Like I'll fucking game. hate someone left and right, man. Yeah. All right. We should we should get it moving though. Um <laughs> Samantha Morton is also in this movie. I and yeah. that's all there is to say. No, <laughs> no. I don't I can't remember how much we talked about her when we did Minority Report. Obviously, like she's giving the greatest performance in the history of We talked I think we talked about her a good amount because we the cinema said stuff like that. Yeah. And, and we're gonna talk about her again mm-hmm. in a few weeks is the one we are never mind i was gonna say something and then i had forgotten about a movie that came out last year (laughs) i was gonna say is it the is it the most thankless casting Mm. of her career and then i forgot that there was a movie that came out last year that i really don't like we're we're, we're gonna we're gonna talk about her in a few weeks because she's in fantastic beast which i haven't seen but like samantha martin is one of no bones about it, my favorite working actors. I think she's an immense talent, and she's someone who I think, even if you're kind of giving her kind of dodgy roles, tends to really, like, grab a movie and run away with it. Yeah. Which means that I can tell when I think that she thinks a movie is maybe beneath her, because... It's so rare that I'm, like, not blown away by her in a movie that, like, I always get the sense that, like, this is the handful of time she's phoning it in. And you are alluding to The Whale, which she's kind of terrible in. I don't think she's terrible in this movie, but I really get the sense that she's going through the motions in in Miss Julie. And obviously it's the the least important of the three characters and kind of someone who's mostly just a a sounding board in many ways. But like I'm bored and I should not be bored when Samantha comes in the movie. See, this is where we this is where we tend to feel differently about things because I sure. feel similar it's a very different movie. And I, I don't mean to compare it really in any way to Winner's Tale, but I do feel similarly about Samantha Morton in this that I do about Colin and Winner's Tale, which is like, I feel like there are better ways to include the work that she is putting on to be in this movie than the end result of like what's actually being shown on screen. And that, but and yes, that that yeah. could very well be what's what's going on here. Where it's hard for me to be like, is she going through the motions? And and I didn't articulate this well last episode because I feel similarly about Colin. It's like, is this going through the motions or is this just what ends up on in the final product of the movie that's being shown? Yes. No, I, I understand yeah. what you're saying. It, it's it's hard to to really hard, gauge it. It's hard to like but really you're, dictate you're, what's what. Yeah. If 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 stripping out any like sense of seeing the revelry i think is to reframe this as like a triage and not a two-hander if you get what i'm saying yeah i i don't think the performance ends up walking away and like demanding a equal portion of the memory to counterback her lesser screen time does that make sense you don't walk away thinking of this as like <laughs> a fucking Chastain Farrell Morton movie. You think of this as like a Chastain Farrell movie. And I think that Morton is in that Morton is in. And I think given that she's the only other actor in the movie, 
and that it is Samantha Morton, she should transcend the fact that she's the tertiary character to like yeah. demand equal like real estate. You know what I I'm just saying? think part of the sin and I again not having read the original play, but I think this I think this to me is the grand sin of like of Ullman's direction is that that Samantha Morton character really only exists as a cipher for like yeah ways in which not the way but like ways in which we could view these two characters yeah. and their morality and kind which of the she is more pointedly that, playing it. that character is much more pointedly a cipher in the 1951 like 1951 yeah. version like she is very much just a means to an end there which is like if that's the case then that's the case characters can be minor league functions but i think the framing of this movie expects you to think of her as secretly a more important piece of the drama. And I think the direction, the performance, everything, I really have to get this out of the way. I think this movie is like really hackily directed, right? Just these like parade of like medium shots in which they just give these like unceasing monologues no interesting cuts no interesting framing no interesting sense of like an interesting interplay and how the actors are positioned next to each other and like the space the way like blocking can transform a space there's like no interesting staging going on and i don't think the performances are all on the same page and when i I watch this i really Okay, I actually I actually do think there's interesting blocking and interesting staging going on here. I I in the beginning of the film something that I was attuned to is that Julie like invades the space like a horror movie character repeatedly like disrupting the arena that like these these lower class people have been Yeah, I I get that that's the idea, but yeah. I've seen it done well by a lot of Have you seen cat people which one i've seen both of them the good one <laughs> the straighter one i said the good one yeah the, the, the 1942 jacques film cat people oh, i man. think it's you a slog. T- it's a what? slog it's a slog i'm gonna kick your ass i'm coming <laughs> to new jersey i'm gonna kick <laughs> your ass i would maybe put that on a sight and sound list the um, turno one yeah do you not like it I, no, no, no. I just, I think the Schrader one is like. No, the Schrader one is. Heads dumb. and shoulders better. No, the Schrader the one is one. a dumb movie for, for sex, <laughs> for, for sexless nerds. The, the Jacques Turner film is like. That's the, what's one great of the, about it. The great pictures of all time. I, I think of the like dynamism of. I may be about to reveal myself as someone who's thought about cat people much more than you have. So I apologize. The, the, the dynamism of the flower shop. And this like tension of her is literally this like invading creature that we don't know is a monster, but her and the whole there's this there's this dialogue between the three primary characters and in, in cat people and like the the fiance shop, and it all takes place in a long master, and there's so much care and attention placed to Simone Simone as this like destabilizing figure who is literally invader. So the compositions are always wrong and as they like move through the room in this master like it always feels 
off balance in a way that you don't expect from all Hollywood films. That's how you do something like that. This movie is not doing anything. Well, like no, that. it's just different where the Julie character has to like physically force her way into the shot. Yeah. In the beginning of the film. And then once, once the, whatever it is, relationship has been consummated, then she can't escape. She like, can't escape the framing once, once she has been roped yeah. into this thing that, I'm not, that now exists. I, I'm happy you saw it. Like I am. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm just, just I, I I did I did not get any of this out of it. That's fair. Um, yeah. What to me what bothers me I think is the if the film wants to be cold and austere and painterly in that way, I appreciate it. But then the musical notes that it picks is great, but it ellipses regularly into like music video montage making. With yes. is it Brahms that starts playing? Yes, I think so. And uh by like the sixth time it starts happening, you're kind of just like, oh brother, can we yeah. can we move on from the, this? The, the other yeah. thought I had was like, look, when you're when you're adapting a play to the screen, there's like a spectrum of approaches you can take, but because theater by design is just gonna be more minimalist than cinema is, right? Yeah, I don't think that's a super contentious take, and I feel like there's a there's a specter of approaches you can take where like, on one end, you go like full stark hyper theatrical minimalism, and in the other end, you like completely blow it up, and try to do something that's like completely divorced from the like temporal and physical restrictions of the play, and I do feel like the the Soberg one is closer to that other direction, but and this one is more accepting the starkness of like functionally being a movie that is set in one room, even if they do like occasionally drift apart. Like it really is like they keep coming back to this kitchen. They like can't really escape this kitchen. And if I feel like you're going to do that every time there is also then a like sort of extension of the grasp to try to bring in the other approach, which is to really like live into like the physical like grit of life in this estate. Do you get what I'm saying? Like yeah. every so often the movie will make these allusions to like mud and dirt and blood and like just the physical texture of everything in a way that strikes me as so haphazard because it is at odds with what is functionally a stark adaptation of a stark play. Yeah. That it feels like concessions to this sort of like this is what life would have been like rather than making the movie where like you can tell that everyone smells bad which i yeah, say is poorly directed that's kind of part of what i'm thinking of is i know something it has a take i think it has like a handful of takes that it's trying to cobble together into one i guess what i see more in it is like i think she's chosen to go down this route because as as is told by her lack of interest in actually paying off on the paying off to the fullest extent on adapting the story in Northern Ireland at the turn of the century that what she's really interested in is the machinations between like why these people, why, why desires form and why they enact, why they act upon them. And I don't again, I don't think it's, I don't think this is a masterpiece by any means. But like, like it's hard. It's a masterpiece. It's hard for me. It's hard for me to conclude 
that everything I'm reading from this is off the backs of the actors themselves, especially when, as said, I don't really like Chastain that much. Yeah. There has to be something there from Ullman's direction that's like giving breathing room to these things that like I'm questioning and I'm seeing. And again, like I said, like in connection to the, in, in connection to the specter of Bergman that overhangs like on top of it, it's in, in Bergman's more art house features. Like there's that ephemerality to the, to the intellectual nature of it, if you want to put it that way, in the sense that like that genre of art film in the sixties and seventies, I think was less interested in having a coherent take as it was sure. as just painting and, and allowing the brushstrokes I, to speak for themselves. I guess when I say take, I'm talking like a perspective more than an idea, right? It's difficult. I mean, this, this it's film difficult. is just, this film is just a kind of a monster to, to engage with despite being so stark and so minimal. Yeah. And like despite it, and despite nobody having seen it. Sounds like your favorite movies we've talked about are Miami Vice, <laughs> The Way Back, Alexander, and this. I really like Intermission. I do you do really like Intermission. Yeah. I was joking. You like Intermission too. I, I really like I really, really like Tigerland when we you saw Tigerland. Really, yeah. You really like Tigerland and I really like Acid Dust. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're kind of you're kind of hot on a uh, home at the end of the world. I'm interested in home yeah. at the end of the world. More I think than I feel that way about this movie. I feel similarly. Okay. Yeah, about this which movie. is interesting because I also think you like home at the end of the world more than I do. I just that's think about definitely, it. Definitely, that's definitely not true. You were. I don't you know were, why you ended up. With you were that. more. You were like a little more pro it in the in the episode. It's just that it's the one that I can't shake. I think at the end of that movie, the performance that Colin Farrell gives in that film pays off. Yes, and at I the agree. End of that movie, yeah. Good I think the beginning of that movie makes me laugh like a fucking idiot yes. when a teenager decides to Rust run face forward life. through a window <laughs> and then dies in front of all his families and all his family and friends. Um, I think if we're going to actually make the analogies of what's going on here, your way back is my phone booth. And you're with me your tiger land is my as the dust and i think i think that makes sense tiger land to ask the dust is definitely a, yeah, a kind of a spot-on analogy your yeah. miss julie is probably my recruit oh my god <laughs> were you that hot on the where recruit? i'm like there's you, something you, here you kind of love pacino in the recruit <laughs> yeah, i'm like, yeah, I'm yeah. like there is something here and in the cookie jar there's another one we really disagree on. I'm trying to remember. Not that we like super disagree on any of those movies, except for I guess it makes sense that I would like this movie more than you do when yeah. I also like The Way Back more than you do. And yeah, and you like of... the New World more than I do. <laughs> I really like the New World more than yeah, New World. Than you. <laughs> yeah. New World better than these. And but, I ask, ask the dust way more than you do. But like I said, very for almost the same exact reasons. For almost literally the same exact reasons, I like the way back for the reasons that you don't like it. And yeah. I like this film for the reasons that you don't like it. Exactly. Yeah. In a um, very similar I, And I like Ask the Dust for the reasons that you don't like it. And I think you like The Recruit for reasons that I don't like I don't it like, well. but that's the, I don't actually <laughs> like The Recruit. I just think it's more interesting than it could be. Um, 
I got to find the video clip of Connor's face when I say that I like that's the dust on that episode. Because I think, I think he thought I was trolling him. Uh, <sighs> we should talk about it, though. Colin? Colin. Well, it's just like I said, like we haven't, he hasn't been asked to do something like this. I would argue that he's barely asked to do something in this because you can think this movie's more interesting intellectually stimulating than i do connor and i'll concede that you can't tell me that you think these three performances are all on the same page not like the same level of quality but that it feels like they're gelling as actors because that's the other thing is like i think that's like kind of what makes it work no because it's like this this movie is so this movie is so angry and so painful and so I don't know. It's it's bleak isn't necessarily the correct word to use in this circumstance, but like I really do think of it as like a very angry, a very fiery, angry picture. And like the fact sure. that these performances don't interlock provides like an added grit and tension that like I, I appreciate from it. Or is it just that Lee Volman's not directing them at all? And like letting them just give the performances they want to give, a la Woody Allen. Cause that's what I see. When I see performances that are like not gelling this much, I'm like, they were left out to dry. And but I it's think like they're not the gelling this much because this is the story about people no. who like refuse to understand each other. You are being very respectful and very kind to this movie, Connor. You are really always I know it's always nice. To... Doesn't leave Ullman like deserve the benefit of the doubt? No, because this movie's because this movie's forty minutes longer than the the nineteen fifty one version. That's no. true. I do agree with that. I do think that this movie's too long, and I do think that like I'm not saying it's a masterpiece. There are issues with it. the 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 use of the use of new age musical editing and pace is a hindrance to this film. The or that's more of an adoption than a use. And then the kind of over repetitiveness of the same disagreements between characters extends to a point where the movie is the run length of the film is simply too long and too exhausting to mean anything once you reach its finality colin i think this is a marvelous performance but i also think this is a performance completely unlike anything colin farrell has given yeah. Up to this point. And frankly, <laughs> I don't really think he's ever given a performance like this in the rest of his career. And I'm actually really excited that we're about to dive into the Lanthimos films because it's been so long since I've seen them, but those feel like probably the closest touchstone to him. Because I think Colin Farrell, his great strength is that he's an incredibly naturalistic actor. And not naturalistic in the, like, method acting sense, but naturalistic in this almost innate I, – I, I said it on uh, The Ordinary Decent Criminal episode on the first episode of this podcast that you watch that performance and you're like, this is a guy who feels like he's present in the moment in a way that livens the scenes because it feels like he's earnestly reacting to everything and i think we talk about it's why he doesn't work in the bad films it's why he doesn't because work there's in the bad nothing films. for him to be present against 
But if we if we talk about a lot of his best performances, we're talking about he's just he's there, he's in the moment, he's tapped into this like almost elemental honesty and he's playing well. And that's why he can yeah. be so, I think, incredible in a nothing role like Seven Psychopaths, because he's comfortable. That is not what he is doing here. It's why he's incredible in, in something like Seven Psychopaths. Yes. It's it's why just him looking at the horizon in Miami in Vice. Miami Vice. It's why he's so good in the new world. This yeah. is not what he's doing here. The actor I thought of the most when watching this movie was Laurence Olivier. I can see that. Not my favorite actor. Someone I someone who I think has given wonderful, incredible performances. Someone I also find very frustrating a lot of times. But there's this line. There's 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 a lot of Heathcliff here. There's a lot of heat. Well, yeah. I wasn't literally thinking of that, but yes, you are right. But what I was thinking, I was thinking of more Olivier's general acting style, which I think is distinct from a lot of the traditions he's kind of melding. And there's this line you will hear people say about Olivier that I've always loved. Um, the one with Dustin Hoffman. No, not that one. Um, <laughs> but it's tied into that. Um I always thought that John Gielgud said it, but it actually seems that like William Redfield said it, that like Lawrence Olivier is the best actor of all time because he has no talent whatsoever, um, which means that it's all technique. That that's not that when people people say that had said yeah. this about Olivier like in the 60s and I they weren't understand. being insulting. They were like Olivier came up around a lot of actors who were very naturally talented stage or screen presences. And he had none of that, which meant that everything he had to do was just the actual acting part of it. That's why he can be irritating sometimes, especially when he's directing himself. But I watch this Colin performance and I'm like, this is pure technique in a way that like, I feel like you don't see people giving performances like in the 21st century. That it is, it is this mannered, studied, intellectualized, like, performance that completely divorces itself from any sense of naturalism. And, like, they tell you in acting school not to play emotions because they think it's fake. But, like, a lot of old stage actors do play emotions. This is the crux of Olivier's It's Called Acting Dear Boy thing, Right. And like Colin's playing the emotions in this movie, but it it works and it's just I don't know, there's something so of a theatrical tradition, but not stagey in a way, but doesn't feel at all rooted in anything we think of as like quote unquote honest or real acting, but it's studied acting. Does that make sense? Yeah, I do feel like this here is a bit of a turnkey because I, I do feel like this he you see this more and more i i understand the filmmakers he's working with get better and better and the films he's in get better and better from this point on but like you do see this kind of performance more in something like the beguiled and banshees see and i disagree i think the beguiled and banshees are much more in line with what i would have thought of like the colin farrell who was in intermission or the new world or miami vice even if they're talkier performances like I, I don't know that I've necessarily seen him do something like this. 
there's this rehearsed in a way and that's not an insult to the but it doesn't i guess what i'm saying though is like it doesn't feel i understand that this film is a stage play and i understand that they probably had like extended exhaustive rehearsals doing it but like for some reason it's it 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 is that lack of unity between what's happening in any aesthetic aspect that like it feels very raw and it feels very Sure, because yeah. you can get to a truth of these things, but it's just not rooted in what I think he's done. Like, I think there's like an understanding of like the sonics of the words more than the meanings of the words sometimes. I was almost thinking myself into like this hole of like, did Leave Ullman kind of identify him as the only actor of that age of this time that could kind of engage with the duality of john and well, for said reasons set the film in ireland because that might be it it's interesting because yeah. her her big take on john and something she talked about often was that john is traditionally depicted as this like model of just like erotic machismo yeah and that she didn't want to play him like that she wanted to like really dig into the like insidiousness and cruelty very insecure him. yeah and insecurity yeah. and i think you see colin really i mean this is he's never done anything this loathsome he kind of hits the screen. nail on the head yeah the you're hammer. like this guy yeah. is a fucking monster and you wish the rest of the movie was meeting that energy because he's so thrilling but i also feel like he's a bit cast adrift because uh tell me if you disagree but like sure i feel like just the the existence of storytelling especially like in in plays and in film because they are so inherent to cause and effect that it is difficult to capture the true energy of impulse because you're constantly questioning like what characters motivations are and what their plans may be past said motivation and i think maybe the one time impulse like actually comes across on screen as murder because like it's so chaotic and it's so life altering but like their consummation in this film is treated as though it is a murder that has taken place that has like shattered everything that has existed before it and like what i kind of adore about colin farrell's depiction of john is that in the beginning like as I said, his annoyance with the way Julie is treating him is because she is flaunting herself as not just the forbidden fruit, but the forbidden fruit that could also command him to do things on any whim. And his deflowering of her almost functions as the vehicle through which his machismo can like regain the phallus <laughs> it's 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 the way yeah. that he can like regain his own masculinity but he does so on impulse and it is almost immediately treated as a mistake that he spends the entire rest of the film yes attempting to rectify which he con- concludes she had like the way in which he rectifies the mistake that he has made is by kind of goading her into taking her own life yes yeah which i just i just don't know to what degree that's on the page to me that's like kind of astounding that that comes th- across on screen Oh, I think it comes across the screen pretty yeah. cleanly. I just, I don't know that I think it's that complicated. I think it's somewhat complicated. I don't, I can't yeah. think of another film that kind of, I mean, obviously there's like films in which men are seduced, especially 
erotic thrillers of the 80s in yeah, which men's are <laughs> men's are seduced to make a mistake but i think this is much more in the instinct. sense of like yeah but this is much more in the sense of like he is engaging with julie with no intent of ever existing beyond the point and then it's like it's it's almost like a it's it's to him, that act itself is almost like an act of suicide. He just does not like understand it at that moment in time. And then everything that happens like surrounding the later portion of the film is almost him coming to terms with the fact that he wants to keep living <laughs> through which he chooses. He chooses to like retake his role as manservant. Because yeah. there's person. that bit at the end where she's like, I, I see no future here. Right. Yeah. And and he had said that to her earlier. Yeah. And she repeats it to him. And then he's like, I hear my master. Like that's the that's the the timeline of those events, right? Yeah. That like he he needs to subsume himself into this minimalist role. And this is almost this like this brief moment of again, it's just I just I, I see no inherent meaning to it beyond the sort of like masculation of this character, right? That you're like a laying bare his pettiness. It doesn't the, the the movie is so disconnected from any sort of real world optics beyond that, that I don't see like what the, 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 the class distinctions of the emasculation don't come together to me in the way I want them to, in a way that I can like immediately write it out in my head. I think that's the failing of the film, but I think the yeah. reason in why his performance is so astounding is because it does come through in the relationship between these. Like when, if yes. this film really, when you boil it down in the way that Ullman directs it is that it's about how these characters interact and relate to each other or lack sure. thereof and their failings in doing so. I think it succeeds in that point. It's just like when the original Strindberg play is lauded for its kind of, the original play is lauded because it recognized that society as it was, was in the process of crumbling and reforming again into something new. And you take that and you apply it towards Northern Ireland, this storied region of codified social strata, and you do nothing focusing on mm -hmm. the social relationships. It's like you could apply this to any time period in any scenario as long as That's the dynamics the of power as long as the dynamics of power are present within the thing itself yeah and i just don't know that the the relationships between the characters are interesting enough to make up for that even if i do think you're just like oh finally some good fucking food with colin really giving maybe i just feel that way the, i mean yeah. handily the best of the post in bruce performances we can oh. quibble how it stacks up against the like early run where he's like occasionally like fucking landing a three but the, the this post in bruce dry run that we're at the end of and well, I, I know think you like in bruce he's great but he's what we really latched onto early on especially the schumacher films is like yes. his colin farrell as a live wire yes. put in front of lens yes and he returns to that here which is oh, not really I, something think, he has done i don't think any of this is live wire even if it's exciting that's what i'm trying to get at is i i think this is on a technique level just a completely different beast than i think maybe 
I think maybe if you don't mind, I think what you are recognizing is that like for once the live wire has kind of matched with his growing adoption of like meticulous preparation for his roles as he has kind of left the chaotic. Yeah, but I'm I'm thinking I'm thinking ahead and I'm like, I just don't (laughs) necessarily think that it's like one door has closed and another is open so much as an end that I'm like, no, but that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's more like he is elaborating upon skills that he had. He had kind of left these skills behind and now he is kind of making a big leap. A lot of times in professional sports, players make a very good players. All-star players make a very big leap between their second and third year. They may have a good rookie season, then they have what's called the sophomore slump yes. where they kind of drop off and then they make a very large leap going into their third year where they become truly like a league defining player. And I, I kind of feel like this is like him jumping into the third year of his career. Except it's it's that, that that's a bad analogy because the, I think I think the better analogy is like. What's his name? Bo Williams revealing himself to be like good at two sports. Bo Jackson. Uh, Bo Jackson, yeah, thank yeah. you. Revealing himself to be good at two sports. Or didn't Deion Sanders also play football and, and well, baseball? No, the, 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 the analogy that you're making is like Michael Jordan has always said that the last two championships he won are the most important to him because yeah. the first four he won basically with just like raw talent and athleticism. Yes. And the last two, when he was older, he had to like it's, think a lot more about what he was doing on court. No, but it's a completely into... different way of using the instrument, the performance he's giving here. It is it is so old fashioned and it is so rooted in like I think discredited techniques that are of like that era of theater and of old Hollywood. And just it's just it 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 just strikes me as just a completely different beast. And I don't think he's ever attempted anything like it up to this point. And I, and that's why I don't think you can necessarily call it an evolution because it's more of like a complete sidestep, unless you really want to put this as like, I guess the closest analogies I think are weirdly daredevil and horrible bosses. The like complete cartoon <laughs> characters and maybe the way back, but like grounding that sort of like, performance for performance's sake into real drama and not comedy like just as like because like there's no real person to bullseye right is there necessarily a real person to john in the way that actors talk about that i don't think so and that's why i think it's interesting about it because he understands that there's a greater truth you can get at than like i don't think think kind of i think kind of the issue with this whole play subject matter in general is that john is very real julie is an idea real and kathleen as we said is a cipher real connor real in the sense that do i think colin farrell knows what john did yesterday i think so yeah because olivier as is written on the page i think he comes Beyond, across no, as not the what's most... written on the page. I'm talking about not what's written on the page. I'm talking about the stuff that isn't on the page. Yeah, but I'm saying I think you can read so much more into that with John. Sure. Through through sure. what exists on the page than you can with either of the others. Julie, because of how little is actually there, which is which illuminates like the existential 
issues that she's having because so little like exists in the first place. And with Kathleen in which the lack thereof of like that of all that which there is is just this person who is in the kitchen who cooks and wants John to settle down with her. You understand what I mean? John's the yeah, actual one where it's like I, 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 there is I disunion that. between how John sees himself and how society sees him and that all exists within like yes, how the but, character but, is written but, and how but, the character is but, but does Colin Farrell know what he had for breakfast? I, I would... Do you know what you had for breakfast? Today? Yeah. Yes. I don't. I do. I What's don't think that's important. Ago? I don't think okay, that's okay. like... Yeah. No, 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 no. Connor, a lot of actors would tell you that's important. And I think a lot of Colin's performances up to this point and going forward to that are at least someone rooted in that philosophy. That is acting. That is how we think of acting this okay. is not that kind of performance that's the point i'm trying to get across. well you you are this more is educated a, in, in this acting is a, than i am yeah people like to poo poo the old acting styles of hit your mark and say your lines but this is a hit your mark and say your lines performance and you know what so is horrible bosses those are not like when he's giving the horrible bosses performance he's not like trying to find the inner truth of that character what i'm saying is that you can get at the inner truth through being very, very good at hitting your mark and saying your lines. You can understand, you can trust the script, you can get to this power. This is old English stage acting in so many ways, right? Yeah. And this is, the, that's what I'm saying. This is that kind of performance that I think Colin is giving. And he's just doing it on a insanely like high level. And I just don't necessarily know that he's, that kind of an actor going forward. But I'm going to keeping an open mind as we watch these last third of the movies. I think he does that in The Beguiled. And I don't know Maybe. if it's because it's they're both period pieces. But I've I do think he does that in The Beguiled. Yeah, I think you're... The Lanth the Lanthimos films, I think, are... He's, that's he applies like a completely different process to those films. Lanthimos than, is a yeah. weird beast. And that's what I'm saying is I'm, I'm glad that this is how it shook out that we're going to watch the lobster next and talk about the lobster next and think about the lobster in the context of this performance. That's the point I'm trying to get at. Yeah. Whereas I watched something like Banshees of Sharon, which is an incredible performance. And I'm like, well, that is fucking Colin Farrell, the great listener well, uh, on yeah. screen, believing in the truth of every moment. Do I, this kind of, it's, I guess, I guess philosophically, if I can just make this point, there is a difference between believing in the truth and trusting the truth, right? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. That if you yeah. that if you have faith in the material and if your faith in your technique to play to the material, that that can supersede a need to find the honesty. That these are just different styles say, of acting. They say the same thing about again about the there are athletes who are good who try to force the game. And there, everything about sports. <laughs> there are athletes who are the best who allow the game to come to them. Stop That's it. the classic thing that they say. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. Colin's fucking incredible in this, and the fucking range he showcases as an actor is amazing. I love how completely unsexy he is the whole time. I just cannot think of a different. I can't think of another contemporary that could do this in this film. I really can't. People who have to be given... able to encompass. I mean, attractive, contempor- but. 
pathetic, but scary yeah. and angry, but also empathetic all in the, all in the same deal. The three people who I think of who are big names, who I think work in a similar space to what Colin is doing right now are Affleck, are Kristen Stewart, and are Barry Keehan. Someone we'll be talking about quite a bit. It, it, it is, a, and of course, Nicolas Cage. Sorry, obviously Nicolas Cage. He's a, he's a bit of a different beast though because he's such a ham. Um, yeah. But it's it's it is it is it is a hard performance to ask of someone, and I feel like many other actors would get too caught in the tempestuousness of it, whereas he's always in control of the tempestuous of it. But I also Which, think, like I said, I think to I think if you have I think to take in another Irish actor, if you have Fassbender in this role, I yes. think Fassbender's Gets manipulation of Miss Julie yeah. would come across as too premeditative. Yes. Whereas I'm saying like it's kind of a miracle to me that the that this film pulls off just the fact yeah. that like he was just tempted to behave this way. And he essentially made like an 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 inexcusable mistake that yeah. ruined a life, you know? All right. Do we have anything else we want to say about this movie? Because it's getting late. No, I think I wish in the same way that in the same way that like I think the things that Bergman brings up in scenes from a marriage can be adapted time after time again, but like there has to be reason as to why the changes to the adaptation are being made which clearly choices were made in the Chastain Oscar Isaac version but I don't necessarily think those choices have anything important to say about like mm -hmm. where we are in the year 2021 or whenever that thing came out as opposed to 1973 I think the same could be said for Miss Julie as like if an Affleck version of this came out in 2007, but took place in Manhattan or took place in, you know, Los Angeles, that, that to me is, that to me is a very, 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 very <laughs> interesting way to kind of re I mean, reassimilate like what has already been done into like modern society modern. and try to figure out what these things mean. Yeah. You know, you know, it kind of is that. Just bear with me here. With Affleck? Not with Affleck. Oh. <laughs> is Spanglish. In oh, a lot yeah. Of ways. I, I kind of understand what you mean there. Which I means think I once like... again have to ask you, is Spanglish a good movie? But again, I think I think what's I think what would be the most interested. I think what Strindberg is the most interested in is like how do these dynamics of power persist when class when the true hard distinctions of class are fading away and becoming more ambiguous by the yes. day. And then like setting it in Northern Ireland does the opposite to yes. it, which is like the grand yes. like mistake that the movie makes. But like, because that is what Strindberg is interested in, I think that is why the story could be retold as like years go by. And I think that's like a mistake that a lot of modern filmmakers sure. are making of like society is changing. So things like, gender and prejudice and sexuality and economics mean less and less. I think it's, 
I think it's much more insightful and probably much more important to understand why those things are still as important as they are, even when the hard lines of society are growing softer as each day goes by. You get what I mean? Oh, yeah. Kind no, of I like, agree. I yeah. Agree. I just don't think this movie ultimately does anything interesting. And I just, I think it, it comes down to it's very poorly directed and the actors aren't gelling together and it can't like cohere into an interesting point. If it can't like land these base ones. Just feel like we we're just like, look, it is euphoric after everything we've gone through. It is just like euphoric yeah. to watch Colin just like get out there and just fucking yeah. do it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. He's, he's the last movie. Great. He just called a horse horse all for yeah. two hours. <laughs> Dude, he did call a horse horse. He called a horse. He's got the goddamn horse. You, you came so close to saying he's a bad actor on that episode. <laughs> you were like writing right up to that line. He's got the goddamn horse. We got to do, we got to do at the end, we got to do the worst lines from these movies. I, when we're done. Or just our I, favorite I, not good lines. Cool. When we're, when we're actually done with this episode, I want to have a brief conversation with you about that um because i have a bunch of ideas for stuff because we need to start thinking about that because we're getting close um so here's the thing about this movie though is you last week kind of said that you think and i think you were talking to the degree of colin being good that you were like you think this is maybe secretly the start of the resurgence yeah i was feeling that way when i started watching because you're so high on the performance i understand what you're saying that I hardline disagree. This is the last movie of the Dark Ages. If if we're going to... Sorry, Jeff and Stuart. We're going to divvy this up into three acts, right? Calling into three acts. The movie star run, the like wilderness, and the, the, the comeback, the resurgence, the like sturdy, like he's, he's, he's a grown man. If it's everything up through Miami Vice is the movie star run, then... Cassandra's dream to now. I think this is the end of the Dark Ages. The reason I think this is the end of the Dark Ages is because I think this is the single worst performing movie he was in post Tigerland. I, I have not looked at all the numbers yet. Well, it made less money than a uh, Tigerland, right? It didn't. Yeah. Well, okay. Mm, let me. Let me. How much did Tigerland make again? I thought Tigerland made like a hundred and twenty thousand. So, so this does make more than Tigerland. Yeah. Yes, it does. This makes. This makes more than Tigerland because of Europe. It makes decent money outside. Yeah. yeah. This movie makes decent money outside of Europe. But if we remember the arc of Tigerland, right, which is that they open it in a limited release and then it doesn't do well and they just immediately like let it die, right? Yeah. Here's what happens with this movie. This movie plays TIFF 2014. To okay, but not kind of like that exciting reviews, especially when we consider that Chastain is on a hot streak. It then yeah. opens pretty quickly after that across can, Europe. Can I elaborate a little bit? Sure. Like I said, I think the reviews are very polarizing. If you sure. look at them today, retrospectively, I think, I think the people who it was important that this movie got good reviews from gave it very bad reviews. And I think the people who gave it rapturous reviews, while we might appreciate as cinephiles and as part of that world, I don't think have any real have (laughs) play any real consequence into like how the film is going to be received or 
behave commercially. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. I also think I alluded to this earlier, but I think any chance this movie could have of taking off and kind of like catching on the fucking Jessica Chastain's like on this hot streak, everything she does is getting buzzed. Uh, a most violent year just kind of comes and eats its lunch. And like Leave Ullman was very open when doing press for this movie that she like felt that like she wished it was getting a bigger push from a distributor because she was like, if people just see it, she's going to get an Oscar nomination. And there's there's an interview where Leave Ullman was like, I think this is pretty undeniably the most Oscar worthy performance Jessica Chastain has given this season. And I'm like, oof, <laughs> that is basically as close as you can come to shit talking a most violent year. Um, but here's the thing. This movie does technically outgross um uh what's it called? Tigerland, because it makes eight hundred sixty thousand dollars in Europe, most of it in Spain. That's not great. This movie costs five million. That's not great at bombs. But here's what happened. Connor, ask me how much money this makes movie that makes in the United States. How much money does this movie I make? I don't in know. <laughs> because here's what happens as far as I can tell. They open this movie in on December 4th, 2014. They open this movie in one theater in New York City. Now, I've seen some reviews that like are tied to release of this movie, and they're like, it's only playing in one theater right now, but it's going to get a proper release in January. They're just doing the Oscar qualifying thing. There's no box office data for this one theater that it played in. As far as I can tell, it just did so poorly that they didn't bother to report it and just never bothered to put it in another theater after that one week run. Do you know what theater it was that it played? I don't. I can't find this out. Huh. There's no U.S. box office data on this movie. That's very strange. And the, the only analogies and I can find. And it made 800000 in Europe. In Europe. So technically it. Mostly in Spain. Most like half of that is in Spain, but let me pull up box office the numbers. Okay, give me a second here. I want to I'm gonna cross reference something here. Obviously, 2014 is not 2000. Yeah, but if we go to this weekend, December 5th, 2014. I mean, I can look at the box office numbers for this weekend, and I can see the people reporting. Movies that have made under a thousand dollars this weekend. So, however bad this movie did, that they decided not to report it and didn't end up going ahead with the proper release, it had to have been like maybe the all-time record holder lowest, and they were and Lionsgate was too embarrassed to concede this. Rapid fire me. What are the top ten this weekend? This this weekend? Yeah. All right. Number ten. You have. Birdman in its eighth week. Mm. Number nine, you have something called The Pyramid that I have never heard of. Um, It's a horror movie. Number eight is Gone Girl in its tenth week. Number seven is Theory of Everything in its fifth week. Uh, Number six is Dumb and Dumber 2. Number five, Interstellar. Number four, Big Hero 6. Number three is Horrible Bosses 2. Number two is Penguins of Madagascar. And number one is Hunger Games 3. Now... To be horrible clear, bosses too. Yes. What are we talking? Wait. This is the weekend. Oh, okay, 2014. 2014. I was yeah. like, what are we talking about here? This is this is the weekend this movie comes out. Now it is also yeah. worth acknowledging that 
only one of those movies is opening this weekend. Nothing opened this weekend. So like, but like this movie, like, I'm just, I'm trying to understand. It's hard for me to comprehend how only one theater in the city. Well, they'll was... do that. They'll do that. No, no, no. no. I'm, that. I'm saying just like the fact that there was only one theater in the city playing a Liv Ullman director directed film and like nobody went to see it. I, I mean, I'm just sure for they... the fact, just for the fact on her name alone strikes well, me as that's like, what, that's yeah. what happened. I'm, I'm more concerned that, um, fucking uh the, the jessica chastain movie honestly uh let me see okay i think let she me... was still i don't know like i know she was kind of having a chastain sense, as they said but uh that we were we were too fucking um like throwing around the the sans tags, we were, but uh, like I don't. Think... It wasn't a chest. I did not sans. make that. I did not a... make I know, that I know, up. I, know, off top no, of my head. No, I yeah. saw someone said that too. I see the quantify. It wasn't a chest in the sans because it wasn't a comeback. The sanses are only the comebacks. I agree. I agree. It's the rebirth. But yeah. what I'm saying is, I don't. I don't remember people being hyped to go see Jessica Chastain. This is the anyway. other thing about yeah. it is I do think there was always a bit of a a bubble around Chastain star persona. But I just think she got, okay, I'm going to try to figure out what are you trying to do? I'm just trying to see if I can figure out where it played. I don't know if you're going to be able to figure that out, but I'm just thinking of like, she is inherently, she, she does inherently become a monumental movie star of the last decade. But I don't, I, by this point in time, I think Zero Dark Thirty is not that crowning moment for her. I think Interstellar, because of the way the character is written and how it functions as a female character within like the Nolan-esque shtick that's happening, doesn't act as a crowning moment for her. And like I don't really think that the summit of Jessica Chastain being here to stay at the top necessarily like happens maybe until you get to molly's game i don't even know that she's at the top circa molly's game but i think once you hit molly's game it's like this is a chastain joint you get what i mean yes it's chastain joints but like the the chastain starring vehicles post molly's game are really just that she's good friends with tate taylor and she's good friends with simon kinberg and she can like will like projects into existence that she can headline you know why do i feel like miss sloan is just like the real serious version of molly's game i've never seen it it's not it's she's (laughs) like a lobbyist who's like fighting for gun control it like reads as like like this is the 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 austere play and then molly's game is the fun uh (laughs) i don't even know where i'm going with that and she also likes John's John Madden because she worked with him twice too. Um, yeah, man, I don't know, but this movie bombed. And this is my point: is that like we can be like Colin Farrell is paired up with this like really exciting actress where everything she's doing is getting like attention, and he's giving this like outstanding performance, and everyone's like, eh, "Don't care." Like, yeah, but like I think also like. What did Charlie say that their partner said? Like I can't. They he walked has in a presence or something. Yeah. 
that's how people felt about Colin Farrell at the time, including me in the year 2014, most likely. Yeah. Even though I was shocked to see what he was doing in Saving Mr. Banks. Yeah. But even then, Saving Mr. Banks is like not a real movie made for real people who like movies. (laughs) But I just think like that. And even if you read the reviews, even if you read the people like the the reviews that are very positive on this movie that like yeah. it doesn't really seem like anyone is discussing Colin Farrell in this movie besides I think like there's just a discrepancy. I think there yeah. are people I think there are people who are professional critics at this time who have seen the good Colin Farrell stuff from a decade before who know that he can be good and just but don't the really good expect Colin Farrell it. stuff wasn't viewed as good is the thing. We we had the whole so many conversations about this. I don't think the movies themselves were viewed as but good, the but I think performances were. He was he, always kind of lifted up as like yeah. we can't wait to see where this guy makes it. And I think By the downfall. Hurt, I think the downfall hurts him to such an extent that he's kind of like he's just kind of like the guy coming off of an injury that you're just happy yeah. is like. Functioning. But I I, I yeah. do think to some degree in terms of like public perception i kind of think 2014 is actually rock bottom for him because when i'm, I'm agreeing disaster, with you i'm saying yeah. like nobody thinks he's a good actor and everybody's kind of in yeah. agreement that winner's tale is disaster save mr banks doesn't land and this movie just disappears without a trace like he's done it's over and that's been the podcast <laughs> right i cannot possibly imagine what could happen from here like, how do you come back from a slump this slumpy? What but could it's like, but it's the occur? fact, but it's the fact that it's this performance. What could possibly is that, occur? Yeah, I know. I understand that, like, receptively and commercially, that this movie may be the 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 yeah. re, the anti peak <laughs> at the bottom of it's, the valley. It's the, it's the very but, uh, at the canyon, the Grand Canyon. But uh, I just think, like, because it is this performance you kind of have to understand it as like, oh, this is the start of like a new era. Or it's the last failure See, of the previous era. Where it's, the last, were it's the last failure of the previous era. Yeah. And we'll get into it next week because we'll get into it. But things are, oh, we made it, Connor. What if fucking one of us gets hit by a bus tomorrow? We never actually talk about the fucking good run. Don't, don't speak it into existence. <laughs> I think that I just disagree with you. I think that the trifecta of horrible bosses, Friday Night, and Total Recall is the like. No, 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 no. That's quality wise. I'm talking star. You're just talking career wise. I'm talking career wise because say what you will about those three, people are still talking about him being in movies. Yeah, Yeah. And this is where it's done. He's Where like he's giving a good performance in a movie no one, directed by like a historic yeah. figure in the world and of cinema. No and nobody cares. cares. I don't. Yeah. I don't think he's had a lower career point than this. He's had lower quality than this. He's had lower personal life dips than this. He's hit greater roadblocks than this. But this Banks, Winter's Tale, Miss Julie trifecta. I think this is just like he could have never worked again, and no one would have batted an eye. His career is over. The interesting thing is like, I'm trying to think of like a good kind of corollary. Like if Juliet Binoche directed an adaptation of Streetcar Named Desire this year and it was starring Colin Farrell, like 
nonstop people would be talking about it. Well, yeah, for because, months and months and months. But now on. Colin Farrell is. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's how different things are I now know. from how they. I'm agreeing with you. I know. Stop <laughs> arguing with me. I'm agreeing with you. <sighs> well, that's been the Miss Julie episode because it's getting late. It was kind of exhausting. You have a lot of editing to do. I have a lot of editing to do. <laughs> Connor Connor decided to fucking shoot on some people. Connor told some industry secrets that cannot be revealed. Yeah. Have you heard that uh, you know, I have insider knowledge that Timothy Chalamet may be dating one of the Kardashian clan. Whoa, you whoa. didn't We're hear getting it from too me. Hot. You didn't We're hear it from too me. hot. Um that's been our show. We'll be back next week with some Greek art film that I've never heard of. So I assume just that like the fucking slump is continuing. Uh, Connor, do Fuck. you want to plug the Instagram? Uh, colonialism, right? Do you want to plug the Instagram? It's at above the title pod. It's at above the title pod. Uh, please remember to rate if you subscribe, tell a friend. We need a social media person. I just like, I've been trying <laughs> to get back into it. I just, I didn't have enough time. I just don't. You want to you pay a social media person? I was trying to screen record from the recruit episode because that's how far behind I am at work. <laughs> and then like a fucking fire broke out and I was just sitting there with my phone screen open. And then eventually, because I was too busy putting out a fire, the screen turned off and the recording ended and I didn't get the whole clip. And I was just like, this is never going to happen, uh, is it? Yeah. Yeah. We're very tired. We're very busy. Um... <laughs> But yeah, we'll be back next week. Brighter days are coming soon. Uh, until then, uh, fuck Timothy Chalamet. Stop it, I'll pack of ice.